You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest, and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. Well, it's Friday morning, an early morning here in the Farm Bureau studios. This is our Tracks Plus deep dig as we get you ready for Mississippi State at Tulane this weekend. I'm Charlie Winfield. Bart Gregory is here with me. Bart, Tulane is one of my favorite coulda, shoulda, woulda stories. They were an SEC team, and they got out. Boy, you talk about mistakes in history. Where might Tulane be right now? Yeah, that was one of the all-time mistakes. You, you wonder if Georgia Tech kind of regrets it too. But Tulane, you know, down in New Orleans. Charlie, what do we – we both claim an SEC championship in the same year, don't we? Yeah, we both claim the 1948 title. So the, the story goes that Tulane did not play – back then the top two teams would play in a series to determine the SEC champion. Tulane didn't play enough games. So they had the best record, but far fewer games. And so effectively what they're saying is, we had the best record. But the two and three teams, in terms of percentage wins, got to go to the championship because Tulane didn't qualify. But they're claiming since we had the best record, we are the champions. So what they're doing is they're pulling an Alabama and saying, hey, just because we felt like we were really good, we're just going to go ahead and claim that championship. You know, Tulane to me is one of the interesting stories, Charlie. And we'll talk about our series with Tulane last year and jump into some baseball in a minute. You know, Tulane is one of the only schools in the country that started out as a public university and then was changed to a private institution. You know, it started out as – To, like, sell it off, you know? Well, pretty much. It was like, hey, we don't want it. It started out as the Medical College of Louisiana – in 1834 through 1847, all right? And so essentially, Tulane was established as a private institution by an endowment by a guy named Paul Tulane and Josephine Louise Newcomb in 1884. And so they went from public to private, and that's how it got its name, without a big endowment from Paul Tulane. Well, you'd never pull that off in today's world. There'd be way too much red tape. 1884, you can do that kind of thing. Yeah, we just say, hey, we're, we're going private. So. Yeah, a little, little different now. All right, Mississippi State, Tulane, by the way, we're in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau, they've got agents in all 82 counties. Go see them for whatever your insurance needs are. They'll take care of it. they got great customer service. And if you want to check the rates, go to favrates.com, compare, Keep that service in mind also. Farm Bureau sponsoring our studios in downtown Starkville. And Bart, this show typically is about the opponent, and it certainly needs to be today to some extent. But before we can talk about our opponent, I think it's time we talk a little bit about us. You know, it's the old thing about glass houses and all that. Look, I, th- I think one of the great things that baseball fans, particularly at the college level, do is they overreact because the sample size is small and you play fewer games. But I went back and looked. We talked to Pat Casey. Pat Casey, in the year two after they win the national championship, they finished like sixth in their league, somehow come back, get hot, and win the title. Somebody tweeted out a picture yesterday of Glavin, Smoltz, and Maddox holding the 1995, was it 95, 94, whatever it was, 
Atlanta Braves World Series championship trophy. The next season, they start five and seven. They got beat six, seven runs a couple of times. So slow starts aren't unusual, but underreacting could be a problem here too because the problem is the season gets by in a hurry, and all of a sudden, what was it John Cohen told us on the broadcast recently? About three weeks in, you know what you got? All right, this is kind of weekend three. We got to figure out what we got. Yeah, and that's that's right, Charlie. You know, first you look back at last year and this two lane series. We we've talked about it all season long, about how close we were to getting swept by Tulane, and you know you had the walk off win, the grand slam from Luke Hancock. You had the walk off, you know, hit from Tanner Allen, and he won two out of three. Old Toff was so good on Friday. We'll talk about that in more detail later on. But you look at what we are right now, and hey, let me tell you this. It goes back to the point, and I know people get frustrated when you say it. There's nobody probably more frustrated than Chris Lamonis right now or the guys that are sitting in that dugout. You kind of look back to last year, and the reason I want to bring up last year at this time was Josh Hatcher a 150 hitter. No. I mean, he had proved it before. You see this all over sports. We talked to Matthew Maniscalco about this, about how he had a, a pretty good freshman year, went through a big-time slump his sophomore year. He started pressing. Charlie, I think we've got a, guy, a bunch of guys who are putting a lot of pressure on themselves, coming off a national championship. It's easy to sit here and say, we're going to put last year behind us. It's easy to say, this is a new ball club, but it's another thing to do it. And so I got to digging in some stats and looking at some numbers. And, you know, so much has been talked about, and we've talked about it here, about the leadoff position. And I was wrong. I'll admit when I was wrong. I said we have one hit out of the leadoff position this year. We actually have two. Cam James went two for three in the Sunday game against Long Beach State. Both were infield singles. But you look at the leadoff spot this year for Mississippi State, the starting guys in the leadoff spot, two for 29 at the plate. Two for 29 in your leadoff spot. And so then I got to thinking, okay, if you want to start making moves, and that's the thing about Chris Lamontis. He's made moves throughout the season. We've played different guys in right field, different guys in center field, of course the middle infield. You've seen buttons being pushed. And so I started looking at different positions, and I pulled out right field. Okay, everybody's talked about right field. So you look at right field and your starters in right field this year are people who have played in right field. Drew McGowan came in in the Sunday game against Long Beach State. He went two for two. You look against Northern Kentucky in the Sunday game, Aaron Downs went two for five. He went two for three in the Tuesday game against Grambling. You factor all that in. The right field position this year is seven for 30, batting 233. So I was like, you know, that's not just decrepit, but it ain't good either, especially for a corner outfield position. So then I said, all right, let's look at second base. So I start looking at second base, and these are guys who started and then guys that came into the game as a defensive replacement or they just came in as a replacement. Five for 34, 147. Now, I know a lot of that cross-references with your leadoff spot. So, I mean, these are completely different. But here's the thing, Charlie. I took out the Pine Bluff game because, as you saw, Pine Bluff's not any good. Oh, wait a minute. You, you can't just take the, the good and throw out the bad. I mean, you're no. kind of cherry-picking a little bit here, aren't uh, no, we? No. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is – because, let's be fair, Grambling's not very good. Let's be fair, the team don't you played talk last about, weekend's not very good. Don't talk about my boy, Ja'Cory Boudreaux. Well, what I'm saying, though, is we've played other teams that aren't good and didn't do well. So. Well, no, what I'm saying is, is the thing about, what is it, stat, is lies, 
Dagum lies, and that's me saying it in a nice way because we got some kids who are probably listening to the show. And then statistics. You can make statistics mean anything you want them to mean. All right, so I'm making them mean what I want them to mean. I'm putting an asterisk by it. I'm taking out the Pine Bluff because they were they were bad. And so if you take out the Pine Bluff game, our second base position is three for thirty, batting an even one hundred. All right, so if you add it back in, what do I have? One forty-seven, five so, for thirty-four. Okay, well I don't feel much better. Okay, so all right, I was like, all right, here's second base. Let's go to shortstop. And so you figure out the shortstop. These are guys that started. These are guys that came into the game later. Five for twenty-nine. Batting a buck seventy-two. If you take out the Pine Bluff game, Charlie, you got to admit they, they, that's probably the worst team we played. And that's okay, but it all counts at the end of the year. I mean, we don't go back and say Dave Magadan hit five twenty unless you take out all the midweek games, in which case he hit four twenty. But you know what I'm saying? They they were not good. I mean, that was like me up there pitching. Okay, if you take out the Pine Bluff game, our shortstop position is two for twenty-four, and that's oh eighty-three. So if you take out the Pine Bluff game, the second base position is hitting 100, and the shortstop position is batting 083. What have we said? And what does Chris Lamonis know? What does everybody associated with baseball know? Is you can play with one position where you're there for a defensive position. You just can't do it at multiple places. And so what does this lineup have? It has holes in its lineup. Everybody knows that. We've got guys pressing, and everybody has said that in every interview, that we are uh, we are overanalyzing and we need to simplify and we're pressing too much. Well, it, do we have holes in our lineup or are we just not putting the right filler in the hole? Meaning what I'm saying is you could say, well, we don't have a shortstop or we don't have a right filler or we just we, if we just not found the right guy. I go back to this. We've played nine games. I mean, th- this is not a team that's – Got a huge sample size right now. Let's take Aaron Downs, okay? Aaron Downs is four for ten hitting. He's played three games. And so he doesn't weigh very heavily. Well, I suppose, unfortunately, he kind of does weigh heavily into your hitting stats for right field. But is is it the issue where – Well, he has four of seven hits from the right field position. Yeah, so I guess he figures in heavily there. My point being this, it's one thing to say there are holes in the lineup in the sense that we don't have anything to put there – it's empty. Is the issue right now that we almost just have to decide, all right, this weekend, here's my lineup. You boys have it. Oh, you just said it. You just said bingo. There it is. That was my thought. And and I've talked to a couple different guys. That's one of the things about us, Charlie, is, is and I'm not going to pat ourselves on the back and say we know more baseball than anybody else. But here's the here's the thing that we've been able to do is we've been able to sit at the breakfast table with a lot of great coaches. We've been able to have conversations with a lot of great coaches and understand the kind of the workings and be around a lot of great players in different philosophies, completely different philosophies. And that's what I was going to ask you today. I was like, you know, we've talked so much about Chris Lamonis in a positive way from a standpoint of a guy can play himself in a lineup and he is going to play the guy that has a chance. And so we play kind of, fruit basket turnover in the middle of the infield this year. We have three elite defenders in the Whoa. middle of the field. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, no, three elite. I'm R.J. Yeager, Lane Forsyth, Tanner Leggett. Has made, they have made really good plays in the field defensively this year. Okay, I just elite's a big word, but I'll give you plus defenders. They How are, about that? They are plus defenders. But you can't play three in the middle infield. There's only two spots there. No, you can't. Same way in right field. I kind of wonder, and I'm not telling Chris Lamonis what to do, 
This guy's been a good coach for a long time. I'm not second-guessing here whatsoever. But you kind of wonder if this is the weekend. When you get to weekend number three, played against Tulane, big boy ball starts in two weeks in the SEC. Is this a weekend where you send a text message to ten guys and say, hey, meet me in the breakfast room and get them in there and say, listen, if you mess up, don't look in the dugout. You're my guys this weekend. Well, it's an interesting take because I was having the argument about basketball the other day, and not about this current team, but historically I used to argue that we were at our worst when a guy missed a shot and looked to the bench to see if he was about to get taken out for missing. And I think you see that a lot of times when guys kind of wonder, is my spot there? I would feel better about that if – now, first of all, so basically what you're saying is we need the Ron Polk philosophy for a weekend, which is here's my lineup, and that'll be my lineup tomorrow and the next day too. Well, that's what I was about to say. In the old days, we used to criticize Coach Polk and say, hey, you've got your nine and that's it. And, man, I wish you would open it up a little bit and play some different guys. And now we're sitting there saying, this is completely 180 from what we've been talking about. And, I, hey, let me tell you this, man. There's probably nobody more frustrated right now because you can see moves trying to be made. But you kind of wonder from the, you know, from the overall mental standpoint of a player who's trying to press, if you just look and say, hey, listen, you're my guys. I'm not taking anybody out unless somebody gets hurt. I may put a defensive replacement in in the eighth inning, but – I mean, you just make your decision. Okay, do we want to put Slate off at second base or third base, or, or do we want to leave him out of the lineup? Do you want to put Aaron Downs in right field? Do you want to put him in left field? What do you want to do in center field? Just kind of say, all right, this is what we have decided to do. Here are our best nine guys in the field, and just go with it for three or four games. Well, I'd feel better about that philosophy. And, look, I think that's probably where you are. I think, though, the thing I would feel better about is if those guys we were saying that to had been there before. So you go back to last year. Why did we leave Josh Hatcher in as long as we did? Because Josh Hatcher had done it before. He had proven that he could do it. You say, why do you stick with a guy who's struggling? Well, I used the example not too long ago about Derek Jeter starting off a season hitless for a number of games. Well, it's Derek Jeter. You know who it is. But most of the guys that we're now basically going to have this talk with around the the breakfast room hadn't really earned it. Because if you go back and you look at right now, so he's coming to this year and you say, who do you want to be your big players? Brad Cumbest is doing everything you've asked him to do. He's hit three home runs. He's hitting 400. Now, can we break down individual at-bats and say this wasn't great situational? Well, sure, you can do that with anybody. Cumbest has given you what you need. Aaron Downs, a freshman, is doing it. Luke Hancock's hitting 313. He's right, got a home run. I'm going there. Let's, 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 hold, hold on. <laughs> Luke Hancock's hitting 313. Cameron James is hitting 310. Hunter Hines, a freshman, hitting 286. Logan Tanner hitting 303. My point being, the guys who are established, the guys who have done it, with one or two exceptions, are doing what you wanted them to do. You're doing what they asked to. So now what you're talking about is trying to fill in. Let's just be real brutally honest about what we are trying to do right now. We are trying to fill a hole left and right field by Tanner Allen, a hole left and center field by Rowdy Jordan, and the inability to hit right now in the middle infield. That's what we're dealing with. And so if you go back and look, you didn't hit at shortstop last year. The difference now is you're not hitting at second base. And not only are you not hitting, you're not having those productive grinded out. Now, look, we had some bumps with DeBrule early. But the bottom line is you at least grinded out some at-bats at that spot. I think what the problem is you don't have an established guy who you were saying, hey, this is your spot. Ultimately, what you're doing is trying to pick – 
between a bunch of guys who hadn't done it yet. Okay, going to your point, you said dealing with the knowns, guys that have earned it, guys that you know the sample size. All right, and, and you and I have had this debate for the last month before the season started, off the air, of course. So if you know what you've got in Luke Hancock, a guy that grinds out at bats, a guy that gets on base, a guy that walks, a guy that does not strike out, a guy that puts the ball in play, a guy that has lengthy at bats and puts pressure on a pitcher, let me ask you this question. And I know this is, I know this is not optimal. I know what this is going to be. Do you not just lead him off? Do you not just – and I know the right, so I know the counter-argument. Come on at me. I'm ready for it. Yeah, so my point is, all right, got to put Luke Hancock in the leadoff spot so we can get a leadoff guy on base. But now we're going to take the guys who weren't hitting in the leadoff and try to ask them to drive in the guy who just got on base. Well, maybe – I get it. I get it. But, look, let's, let's not overstate the leadoff position either. How many times you lead off an inning from that spot? Once? Twice? But it's flipping the lineup. It's how many times are you pitching to the seven and eight hole guy worried about the top of the lineup coming to the plate? All right. Now that I think that's because so look, I wouldn't be upset if we, we hit him lead off. I mean, look, we've got what eight stolen bases this year in nine games. So it's not like we're a team who's it's not the Bradfield model from Vanderbilt no. where you've got a guy to hit a ground ball. Steal second, steal third, come home on the first thing put in play. Well, somebody was asking me, hey, why don't we bat in Cameron James leadoff? Well, I mean, the guy had the most stolen bases on the team last year. He can steal some bases, but stolen bases are really not our mantra. I mean, that's not who we are. We steal more than we did before Lamonis, maybe, but it's not, not crazy. Nothing like to, to get excited about. I think that's more situational with who your guys are. Um, ultimately, yeah, I'm fine with it. I, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but I don't care. In, in the sense of somebody's got to do it. we got to fill some spots. The big thing for me, I'm almost like to the travel ball mentality right now, the youth baseball. You know, my when I made out a lineup for youth baseball, my thing was you never wanted to stack outs. So what I don't want is like back-to-back guys hitting below 200, you know. And that's what you've been getting at the bottom of your order. Yeah, I mean, we got guys below the Mendoza line, so – it's a mess, but I, I still go back to this. Let, let's take Jaeger. We knew there would be an adjustment period. I don't care what the fall said and the spring said. Just historically, there is an adjustment when you come from Mercer. Part of that is just adjusting to your surroundings and everything else. But what we're talking about is 22 at-bats. You know, we're, It's not like we're talking about 100. Going back to the point, a guy that's a fifth-year player, a fourth-year player, is Jaeger a better player for you when he knows that he's the guy in the lineup? Probably. Probably. And so but then and here's what what's frustrating, I think, is right now, if let's say that we are Chris Lamonis and we're trying to figure out to set our middle infield, who's the odd guy out? I think conventional wisdom would be that it's Tanner Leggett. But then you ask yourself, why? I mean Leggett's laid just as good a claim to one of those spots as either Forsyth or Jaeger. He's hitting higher than both of them. He's defending. You just said he was a elite defender. I said he was a plus. He was an all right He's defender. He's a good defender. But you go back and you say, well, and I'm just that's just a hesitancy. That's not a knock on him. That's just kind of looking at all of them. I, that's just a, a philosophical deal about using the word elite. But they're all good defenders. They are. But – if Chris Lamonis makes that lineup out, is Tanner Leggett in it? I don't know. That's and then the, what do you do on your bench? That's, that guy's like, wait a minute. 
I'm the only guy here hitting over 200, and I've got two jacks. What are y'all doing? So <laughs> I get it. It's, it's not a easy. mess, but I, I I agree with your premise, which is we got to put we got to put some guys out there and live with it, and then circle back Monday. Isn't that where we are? We'll circle back Monday. Here, yeah. Here's our guys. I think so. And, hey, and I know we keep on saying it's early in the season. We've only played nine games. But at the end of the day, losing games early in the season hurts you when it comes to May. It does. Now, the good news is you can still make up for it. You can. But the bad news is you got to make up for it. you got to overcome it. Yeah. All right, let's look at Tulane. And on our Tracks Plus deep dig, Tracks Plus, four locations, three in Mississippi, Hickory, Columbus, Starkville, Summit, Alexandria, Louisiana, Fred Fulton, and Daniel Bounds over in Columbus, King Crosby and Hickory, Grace Howell and Summit, and Hoop Williams down in Alexandria, Louisiana. That great Barco equipment, Saney equipment, Demi Seamoff, Mulchers, and then now Massey Ferguson at all the locations except for Columbus and Startville, and our good friends at Tracks Plus allowing us to do this deep dig on the green wave of Tulane. All right, so, Bart, first of all, with Tulane, let's talk about who's not there. We, we saw a good team. Travis Jewett is the coach there in his sixth year. Brought his team up to Starkville last year. You will remember that they drew more than one comment from these quarters about the just the constant noise, junior high rah, softball rah. kind of mess. You yeah. know, it just drove me crazy. Swing hard level, run like the devil. Yeah, all the, all the good stuff. But So they've had uh, – a number of guys drafted off that team. Shortstop Colin Burns went in the sixth round. We've talked so much about Braden Oltoff, who shut us down on that Friday game. He went in the ninth round. The Sunday starter, Benoit, went in the tenth. They had a relief pitcher in the fifteenth. And then their Saturday starter, Aldrich, the left-hander, he went in the twentieth round. So much like Mississippi State, Tulane looking completely anew for a rotation. Everybody's gone. Here's what's crazy to me. Tulane didn't make a regional last year. That surprised me greatly after they left here. I thought that was going to be a, a team that would be an easy regional team. I think we broke them. You think, I think that's what it was? That, that yeah. home run from Hancock just ended the whole thing? Yeah, we broke them. Um, well, I, w- I would like to think that's true. Uh, no Mississippi kids on this team. How about that? That's crazy, being in New Orleans. Now, they do have one guy, and why don't we dig into Tulane and Let's talk about their starting pitching that we're going to see, Bart, and that is where they may not have a Mississippi kid, but they have a Mississippi State connection. Yeah, they do. And, you know, this first start on Friday, and that's tonight, with Hoffman, their right-hander. Here's the thing about Hoffman. Tyler Hoffman, 0-1, he's made two starts, nine and a third work, four runs, nine hits, seven strikeouts, six walks. Here's the thing that bothers you about Hoffman. And going back to our lineup a minute ago, we're not a team that's based on matchups. You know, Hunter Hines is going to be our DH if we've got Hancock at first base. That's pretty much been solidified so far. And I'm not advocating at all Hunter Hines coming out of the lineup because he gives you a big stick in the lineup. Hoffman is very similar to what you saw Wednesday night against Southern Miss and Tanner Hall. Oh, I hope not. He's a fastball slider guy. And his slider is a very, very good pitch. When he's behind, he's going to throw his fastball. When he's ahead, he's going to bury slider. So we're going to see a plethora of sliders. Now, let's take this a step further, all right? We played a night game on Wednesday night down at Trustmark Park in Pearl. And we talked about it early on. We had 20 strikeouts against Southern Miss last year. We struck them out 20 times. And you kind of wonder about the lights. 
We're going to play a night game tonight. Seeing a guy we haven't seen who has a plus slider at night, a lot of right-handed hitters, that's going to be the pitch to watch tonight is how we handle sliders. Can you get ahead? Can you hit fastball early in camp? Because if he gets you 0-2-1-2, you get ready. You're about to see some spin. So that goes back to something we talk about all the time, the the importance of strike one. And I think Hoffman has been the guy for me that kind of highlights that in their rotation. Because once he gets ahead, it kind of opens up his pitch selection. When he gets behind, he's pretty quick. This is not a guy who historically has thrown a lot of 2-0 sliders. When he gets behind, it's like he feels like he has to go to the fastball. And so you say, well, why do I care? Well, it's a big old difference if you got a pretty good – Pretty good idea what's coming. If sometimes, Bart, I think to major league guys, you ever see like one of these really good hitters in the major leagues who they'll be ahead in the count 2-0 and and they'll have just a terrible swing and miss. Just a terrible swing and miss. You say, yep. man, that guy was all. No, what they've just decided is, all right, pitcher's count. I know the stats. I got about a 90% chance of getting a fastball right here. I'm coming out of my shoes, and if I miss it, it's 2-1. You know, that's almost kind of where it puts you in a guy like Hoffman, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, hey, I watched these guys last week on ESPN Plus when they played La Tech. The thing about Hoffman, you know, he's got a fastball. We talked about, you know, hitting against 88, 89. We talked about that. This guy can run it up to 93, 94, which may be kind of what we're looking at. So you're going to get a nice fastball early in the count. But he's an over-the-top style of pitcher. And so if you're coming from over the top and you're trying to use your same arm slot on fastball and slider, what does that tell you? The slider is going to have depth. It's not going to be east and west. It's going to be more north and south. This is not going to be a curveball, but the slider is going to have depth. And so if I'm up there, I know that slider is not going to stay in the same plane. He's coming over the top. If he tries to show you that slider, that's why it's so good. It's because that slider has a lot of depth, has tilt to it, and gets down in the zone. Carmouche is a completely different guy. And, of course, we saw Dylan Carmouche. He's a Mississippi State transfer. He's from Louisiana. He's a Saturday starter. He's a left-hander. Now, he's going to bring another thing into factor. We talk about the right-handed sliders. He's going to bring the changeup in play because Dylan Carmouche's best pitch is his changeup. You know, he's going to use it, of course, being a left-hander. He's going to use it a lot to right-handed hitters. So you start to think to our lineup, particularly when you've got guys who are kind of pressing a little bit, you get that change up away. It can it can cause you some trouble. Now the other thing Carmouche will do, he'll change his arm angles a little bit. He'll he'll mess his delivery time up a little bit, or in not so much a Carlisle Kessler kind of thing, but he'll kind of play with his leg lift in in terms of how fast he delivers. The big thing with Carmouche is you kind of got to slow down the at bat. Um, the other thing about him is you can get in trouble when you start guessing on him because he is a guy that will throw his change up behind in the count. You know, a lot of guys, they get ahead, then it try, they try to use it as an out pitch. He'll throw it behind. It, that's, that's his best pitch. And you know what I like about that? How many times do we talk about starting pitchers who they feel like the count has to dictate what they do? I kind of like guys who just like, I'm going to use my best pitch and count be dang, you know? Yeah, I am who I am. Now, his fastball is not overpowering. You know, he's an 87 to 91 guy, but that changeup's going to make that fastball look a lot, lot faster. He'll drop a curveball in on you every now and then. And so, Carmouche, hey, Dylan's got some good numbers here to start the season. He's 2-0, and 
13 innings, one run, eight hits, 11 strikeouts, and two walks. And so far, teams batting 186 against Dylan Carmouche. And so they've got the, a good factor in the Saturday game that's matched up with Preston Johnson. I'm really looking forward to that, that Saturday pitching matchup. Yeah, and then on Sunday, they're going to throw a freshman out there, a guy named Michael Massey, big, big, tall guy, 6'5". He is a, a right-handed pitcher and another over-the-top guy. Going to have a good fastball, low 90s, slider, change up. But this is a guy who is going to rely more on his fastball than the other guys. I think some of that, particularly if you look early in the year, sometimes it just feels like with freshmen, they're a little they, – what do you get worried about? Walking guys. I'm going to come out by walking guys. And so what do they feel like they have to do? Find a pitch they can throw strikes with. And they always seem more comfortable with that fastball. And I think Massey's one of those guys. I think so, too. And what do early guys try to do, too? They try to throw fastball away to right-handed hitters. He's a right-handed pitcher. Guys that are fastball guys that are younger, low 90s, he's going to go away with fastball to right-handed hitters. And he's going to try to come in some on left-handed guys, like a Luke Hancock, like a Hunter Hines, and tie them up and not allow them to get anything extended. I look for us to maybe have some success in that Sunday game against the right-handed fastball that's going away because it allows us to get extended. Charlie, one of the things we haven't talked about, Turchin Stadium down in Tulane, down in New Orleans, it's a ballpark that has some nice size to it, 325 down the lines, 370 to gaps, and then 400 to straightaway center field. So it is a pitcher's ballpark at times. But if you drill in and look at it, tonight the wind's going to be blowing five miles an hour straight out to center field, not a whole lot of wind. Saturday, Sunday, they're looking at 15 to 20-mile-an-hour winds out of the south-southeast, and that ballpark is ticked just a little bit to the northwest. Push it everything out to center. Straight out to center field. So you may see some home runs hitting Saturday and Sunday's game. I like the matchup on Sunday as well for us. You know, Massey, what's the other thing when you're big and tall? Sometimes your delivery gets a little slow. If you can get guys on base – You've got a chance to run, and probably as good a time as any to talk about this. Tulane's not been great behind the plate this year defensively. Now, 7 out of 10 stolen bases against them. But if you start to look at pop times, you start to look at delivery times, all those things added up. Uh, This is a chance if you can get guys on base. We may see us run more. We talked about stolen bases. This could be one of those weekends where we run a little bit more. Especially tonight. I look for tonight and then tomorrow. Now, Carmouche being the left-handed pitcher, but he's a, he's a kind of a bigger guy. I mean, so he, he, but he'll mix up his, his moves to first base a little bit. I look for tonight maybe us to run a little bit. Well, now, the key to that is you got to have guys on base. Well, you got to get guys on base. <laughs> so you can't strike out 13 and, times. And, hey, Charlie, going back to the point of talking about guys pressing, not only do you see it in their at-bats, you see that in the jumps they get off of first base. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. Because how many times this year have we looked at each other and said during a broadcast, man, that was a terrible jump. Exactly. And I I had not made that connection, but it just goes back to uncertainty, doesn't it? It does. It does. Second-guessing yourself. That's a a good point. Hey, by the way, if you're here in Starville this weekend, you're in the Cotton District, stop by Two Brothers Smoke Meats. You know, the weather's getting a little bit better. It's getting a little bit warmer. they got great places to sit outside. They've got the tacos. They got good burgers. They got brisket. Bart is a fan of the wings. The wings are a big fan in the Bart Gregory household. 
Oh, yeah. And, I, and let me tell you, I'm probably going there for lunch today. Or should I say that out loud? Because I don't know if I want people coming by and yelling at me. But I want to sit out. It's gonna. It's a beautiful day here in Starkville. Not a cloud in the sky. Temperature is going to be up around 70 degrees. I've been talking about this since October. Is I can't wait till a Friday where I can go and sit out on the patio, upstairs, on the balcony, and just enjoy a good meal at Two Brothers. And so I'm going to get a couple buddies together. That's where I'm going for lunch today, and I'm going to get a bunch of those wings just for you, Charlie. Hope you can do that. Um, so, look, check them out, Two Brothers Smoke Meats. So let's go back real quick, Bart. Let's talk just for a second about this two-lane lineup. Two-lane, I think back to something we talked about last week. It was the Friday game, and we were talking about guys that were kind of getting extended, kind of leaning over the plate, trying to hit those outside pitches, and a few times we said, if you come up and in on these guys, it's going to lock them up completely. And I know that uh, John Cohen, who was on the broadcast with us, said a couple of times, well, you just got to be sure your guy feels comfortable throwing inside. This is a team that you better feel comfortable throwing inside against. And I, I look tonight, Landon Sims is going to have to be willing to use the inner half of home plate if we're going to have success because this is a team that likes to lean and get extended on those outside pitches. Groff, Grove, we're not broadcasting, so I haven't looked at the pronunciation guide. But he's a guy that's going to drop down some bunts. He's a table setter. His batting average is 419. He's got seven extra base hits in his 13 hits. He leads the team in the most hits. He's got a home run on the season. He's got some pop, but he'll drag a bunt. He'll push a bunt. So he does have some power. And when I look at this lineup, too, you, you start thinking about Avilas down at the bottom of the order. He's been batting some down at the bottom of the order. But Luis Avilas, 11 hits and 31 at-bats. He has eight RBIs. But here's the thing. He does not have a home run. But we know, Charlie, he can hit one. He hit one on Spencer Price last year to give Tulane a one-run lead in the ninth inning or the tenth inning. It was late in the game. And that's when we walked it off in the bottom half of the inning in that Sunday game because they were about to take two out of three from us until Tanner Allen came through with that two-out, two-run, single, double, whatever to end the game in that Sunday game. But Avilas, we know he does have some pop if you get that ball out over the plate. So you are going to have to come in this weekend and establish that inside corner with a fastball. So then you take a look at this lineup. What would you say? This is a team that's there's a, they're a pretty good hitting team. I mean, look, they've put up some big runs. They score, what, 13 on Louisiana Tech, who's a good team. So this is a team who is capable of putting up some big numbers. So they lose a game last week to Louisiana Tech, 6-1. to one. Come back. They had they, they didn't play a Saturday game. Had to play a doubleheader on Sunday. Get a four one win and a thirteen five win. Last two games out, twenty three runs, ten runs. But again, not against great competition. If you look at, it, they've played three tough opponents, or excuse me, three tough games. And that was La Tech. All against La Tech, and they took two out of three. Only loss was against a left handed starter. We don't have one of those. So okay, let's drill in a little bit more to. Those two wins against La Tech, both of those were seven-inning games. And when you got Carmouche out there who eats up some innings, he didn't give La Tech a chance to get in that bullpen. I'm not making excuses for Lane last weekend because he had the same situation. He had to pitch and play seven minutes too. Yeah, Carmouche threw a complete game. And yeah. I think only faced like 24 guys. So he only faced three over the minimum. So that kind of helps. Yeah. And here's the thing. Didn't walk anybody. So here's the other thing that jumps out at me from Carmouche's line on that game, by the way. Only four strikeouts. He just kept getting ground balls, nine oh. ground ball outs. Uh -oh. But in any event, yeah, 
Uh-oh. We've said that before, haven't we? But in any event, this two-lane team, they will also adjust their lineup left-right. They'll play those games. They'll do substitutions. But Lee, Avilas, Lambert kind of guys in the middle, Englehard, they've just got some good, solid hitters. Yep, Mender. I mean, the guys are going to hit. Mender's hit two home runs. Englehart's hit one home run. Uh, this is a solid team. I mean, that's what this is. Is is this an elite team? No. Of course, the guy we haven't mentioned, Ethan Groff. Remember last year, was it Grof? Groff? It's one of the two. You know, we kind of went back and forth trying to figure out how to say his name. They hit him down in the bottom of the order. Like, so last weekend, they're hitting him ninth. Well, the guy's hitting over 400. He's been the player of the player of the week in the league already. He's been off to a really good start. Five doubles out of his 13 hits. Which is completely opposite of what they did last year. They hit him a little bit top of the order some last year, and they dropped him down top and then bottom. I mean, he's he's a guy that's that's a table setter, whether he's at the top or the bottom. What do they say about the nine-hole guys? Just your second leadoff man? Yep. Well, hey, this should be a good weekend. Looking forward to it. We really need to have a good weekend this weekend to kind of turn it around. And that's a, that's a look at the numbers on Tulane on our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. Charlie, let's take a look around the SEC and the matchups this weekend. And this look around the SEC brought to you by our friends at Mosquito Joe of East Mississippi and Jackson. Make outside fun again. We talk about the temperatures over the next week. going to be around 70 degrees. May get some rain early in the week next week. What does that mean? It's mosquito time outside. And, Charlie, I don't know about you. There are some people that that repel mosquitoes. Let me tell you this. I'm drinking some strange brew coffee right now, some blueberry cobbler-flavored coffee. I think my blood tastes like blueberry cobbler to mosquitoes because they eat me alive. And so make outside fun again. If you got the outdoor eating, the outdoor kitchens, the swimming pools, the fire pits, if you want to make outside fun, get those barrier treatments, those general pest treatments, you can even get fire ant treatment, flea and tick treatment from Mosquito Joe. They've got the misting systems, but mainly that barrier treatment. They'll come to your house. They'll spray in your shrubs where those mosquitoes live in the damp areas as well. But the coverage areas of the Jackson Metro, Meridian and surrounding areas, the Golden Triangle, Hattiesburg Laurel, Robert Carlton, Spanky, Mississippi State alum, Dorsey Hardiman, those are two good guys, and they know what they're doing with the trying to make outside fun again. And so Mosquito Joe, it's a game changer if you want to stay outside during the summer. So quickly, here's a look around the SEC. Murray State's at Alabama this weekend. Southeastern Louisiana is at Arkansas. So both of those series kind of ho-hum. Hey, here's the one I've got my eye on. This is an oil check weekend for Kentucky. Number 14, TCU is in Lexington for a three-game series against Nick Mangione and Kentucky. LSU is out in Houston. They're playing at uh, Minute Maid Park. They're playing Oklahoma on Friday, Texas tomorrow on Saturday, tomorrow night, and then Baylor on Sunday. Tennessee is also out there. Tennessee plays Texas tonight. They play Baylor tomorrow and then Oklahoma on Sunday. Georgia is at Georgia Tech tonight, then tomorrow they're playing in Athens. And then Georgia and Georgia Tech are playing in Lawrenceville, Georgia on Sunday. So that'll be a good series for Georgia because we play Georgia in a couple weeks. Ole Miss is at Central Florida this weekend. Rhode Island is at Auburn. Florida is at Miami this weekend. Tarleton State's at Missouri. Man, I wish I was there. Clemson and South Carolina, they play at South Carolina tonight. They play at Clemson tomorrow and then at Clemson again on Sunday. Texas A&M this weekend is playing out in Frisco. They're playing Washington State today. They play Iowa tomorrow, 
and then Wichita State on Sunday. So that's not a tough weekend for Texas A&M. And Vanderbilt is going to the far west as they're playing Hawaii this weekend in a four-game set. And that's a look around the SEC brought to you by Mosquito Joe. All right, Charlie, big weekend this weekend. You just can't understate it. We kind of got to get the ball rolling right now. No, it's time. It's time, but I, I go back to this. Can't overreact, can't underreact either. This isn't the time to start jumping up and down and complaining about coaches, complaining about players. We just got to get some things figured out and need a little space to do it. And it's once again brought to you by our good friends at Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. We're in the Farm Bureau studios. Tracks Plus, the four locations, of course, Saney, Barco, Demi Seamoff, Massey Ferguson, our good friends at Two Brothers. I'm headed there for lunch today. You guys had better order some extra wings down there. And then our good friends at Mosquito Joe. And also, once again, our fine friends at Bank First. Bank First, locations throughout Mississippi and Alabama. Great customer service. Moat Griffin, all those guys at Bank First. And Charlie, hey, enjoyed it as always. I enjoyed it. Be back again on Sunday, hopefully with something good to talk about it. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you in a few.